Hello, and welcome back to The Fields and the Framework. I'm Meg, your host, and this week we are so excited to welcome Dr. Betsy Lawrence. Betsy, in addition to being a dear friend, is a middle school science teacher at Summit Trail Middle School in Olathe, Kansas, a Kansas Department of Education field educator, a past president of CATS, and a recent graduate of the University of Kansas, with lots to talk about. So join Betsy and I this week as we take a moment to wander through the fields and the framework. Betsy, thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks, Meg, for having me on the show today. I'm really honored to be here. I'm so excited to have Betsy because in addition to her many accolades, we got to teach in the same building for a couple of years pre-COVID. And so I know firsthand how impactful she is in the lives of her students. So Betsy, for those of the listeners who may not be as familiar with your journey, tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe how you became a middle school science teacher, because let's be real friends, middle school, it's not for everyone. It definitely is not for everyone, but a middle school is my passion. I love being quirky with them because they are definitely so full of energy and it helps me feel definitely more youthful than sometimes I often feel. But I stumbled upon middle school during my journey of becoming an elementary education teacher. And um, it wasn't until I I met the Dr. Schoberg, who was a professor at Pittsburgh State University, who helped me like realize that not only was I good in science, but I could teach science. And so he really encouraged me to think not just about teaching elementary school, but teaching science, especially in the middle level. And he helped encourage me to um, become a part of the NSTA student chapter we had at Pittsburgh State University. He even helped me organize a science day that we were able to put on on campus for some elementary classrooms. And so that just helped spark my curiosity and excitement about teaching science. And again, helping me realize that I could do science and potentially teach science. And it wasn't until Olatho chose to reconfigure their um, junior highs into middle school that I was able to journey to the middle school and be able to teach middle school science. But I was so thankful that that happened. So I was able to just focus on the middle level student because they're kind of crazy and interesting and all of the things. But then I could also help get them curious and excited about science. And I could focus on just being a really as impactful science educator as I potentially can be. I am also a little biased in this fact that middle schoolers are the best. I always called them weird and wonderful, but I'm curious, what is your favorite part about this particular age? Oh, absolutely love that they are just so curious about everything for the most part. They're curious about how their world works. They're curious about what each other thinks and their curiosity then just leads to so many amazing questions. And it's fun to help them see how their curiosity can piece together all of the things that they are making sense of that they hadn't made sense of before. Those are like the ultimate powerful light bulb learning moments. I love that. And wonderfulness to come together, how it's a safe place for middle schoolers to really be themselves. How do you build your classroom culture? 
Such a great question. And I know that often in education, we hear about relationships, 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 really, truly, it does first start with building a relationship with your students. Middle schoolers do want to be seen. Middle school science students definitely want to be seen. And if you aren't able to build that relationship, it causes them not to feel like they can be curious and they can ask those questions. So I love doing my best to build a culture that they know that I want to know them as people. I want to know them not only as people, but also as helping them learn how to be scientists. I first start my year with just getting to know them, giving them surveys to, I really love to figure out what do they think they want to be when they grow up. And especially if I could tie in those bits of knowledge to what we're talking about in science that helps me better connect with them. This year specifically, we talked about being innovators and how I wanted them to imagine what they foresaw as their future. So then that will help me hopefully springboard some of the science concepts that we're talking about in class. So it ultimately, I mean, they want to be seen. It, It definitely comes down to building that relationship with our students so that when they come in, they feel like it's perfectly okay to take those risks. I also love, um, it's Open Syed. They have some, we call them class agreements. I know Open Syed calls them classroom norms, but we talk about how are we respectful? How are we equitable? How are we committed to our community so that we ultimately can move our science thinking forward? So we start off as well talking about what does it look like and what does it sound like in science so that all of us during that class period, we know what the expectations are that we truly can agree upon so that when we want to be able to make this a safe place, that they they feel safe to take those risks because some the science doesn't come easily for many of our students, especially with our language learners and our um, students that are have a, a learning disability of some sort. But when they realize that this is safe for them to take those risks, they're going to, they're going to want to talk to each other. They're going to want to make sense of, of the science together and realize that we are doing this together. So we ultimately can move our science thinking forward. The way that you're describing your classroom makes me so happy because it makes me hear the impact you're having on your students, but also thinking about when you shared your journey and the way your professor was like, not only can you be an excellent teacher, but you can be an excellent science teacher. That's amazing. And those are really impactful strategies. Those are really impactful strategies. And where do you go for inspiration to keep learning and leveraging practices like the ones you described? Where do you get your energy? I love being able to like spy on other teachers' classrooms. And this probably sounds really interesting, but I love like looking at Twitter, especially, and just seeing all the amazing strategies that teachers are willing to post. I'm like, oh, maybe I might like to try that in my classroom. Or I also love to just talk with other amazing educators and reminisce about the things that have worked in our classrooms and making sure that we continue those things that, that were working. And um, I also love to see what even, even teachers in our building, like if you can tell those teachers that make a huge impact on students, because those are the teachers that the kids come in talking about 
and the positive interactions that they have. And so I love to be able to hear what are they doing so then I can continue to use those in my classroom. But even just thinking back on those students and when they want to come back and they share about all the impact that they now are making in the world and just reflecting upon that as an educator. So I know that the reflection piece to your second question, reflecting and seeing and thinking about the really amazing things that students do from your classroom just continues to inspire me. Being able to see what students continue to do once they leave your classroom It just continues to make it all worth it and make it such that you want to continue to teach day in and day out, especially through those hard times. So former students and current students are so helpful and inspiring to keep fighting the good fight of education. We know that the next generation of science standards are a journey within themselves. So tell us a little bit more about your journey with the framework. How has your vision changed along the way, especially knowing that you came from elementary to middle school? What has it been like for you? I feel that I have truly been blessed that I was able to come into the middle school world and the science teaching world right as the framework was starting. And I am very thankful that it's, well, and it's kind of crazy to think about our the framework's been out since 2011. And that was about the same time that our district started really digging into the framework and starting to re-envision and reimagine what science education could be here in the middle level classroom. So during that 2011-2012 year, we just started digging in, putting in it, like just taking that framework, digging it apart. And as a middle school, thankfully I was part of the middle school science curriculum committee at the time. And our coordinator gave us the framework. And at the time, I don't think it truly sink in as to the depth at science, middle school science education itself. It was just a lot of drill and kill. And I'm so thankful that researchers communicated with teachers and then communicated with scientists to help us realize that it's all about connecting things to our real world. And so it's that point that I started thinking, wow, how do I connect the science to things that our students are exposed to on a daily basis to their own world. And it didn't really like the CCCs and the SCPs didn't quite connect at that time, but at least I was able to start grappling with phenomena. And our district adopted NextGen in 2013. We started realigning at that time, but again, I totally missed out. All right. So for those listeners who may not have noticed, because it is very likely that I edited out As we're interviewing Dr. Lawrence, in walks two former students. And not only did they walk into the class with the pure joy that reconnection can only cause, they walk in with pure joy and are talking about being teachers. So just in case you're listening and you're thinking, what? You can hear them in the background now. These moments are what it's all about. That's a really cool, cool approach that your district taught. And it's really awesome that your district person was so forward thinking to get the framework in hands early so that when you did that standards adoption, it really allowed you to leverage 
kind of a philosophy of why. What happened since that time knowing your district was an early adopter? How has that led you to progressions in your own work and journey? Well, and it didn't really hit me until I was able to attend a workshop with our past state coordinator of how you can leverage phenomena and how impactful the use of phenomena is on our science and our students' curiosity and getting that and connecting it to their funds and knowledge of to the things that they hold true and important to them. And so it definitely helped start putting next gen in to perspective. I also um, had the privilege of being able to take part in an NGSX training where it definitely not only put the phenomena into perspective, but helped me start embedding those science practices into my own teaching journey. And so with that, it helped give me a perspective of, and with that NGSX training, it was like, they've had magic happen. And you're like, oh my gosh, I've got to figure out how to put this into my classroom. How can I get kids to not only read about the science, connect it with what they're experiencing in their own natural world, but how do I get them to put those pieces together? Because I feel like with Next Gen, it's putting those science pieces together. Yes, we have their knowledge that we want them to learn. Yes, we have the, the patterns and the CCCs that we want them to figure out in the science and engineering practices, but it's putting all of those pieces together so that they ultimately can figure out what's going on around them. So with that, on this long journey, because it's, it, again, it's really kind of sinking in how long we've had NGSS and how I can't even imagine the impact that we've been able to have on students because we have let them put those puzzle pieces together and we've helped give them the means to make sense of their own world. So I think talk moves are one of the upgrades is the way I typically talk about them that came through so much of the NGSS work. How how did you bring them to front of mind, like in this practice, both in your classroom and in the classrooms that you observed? Was there a specific way that teachers were making this a part of their explicit instruction? And talk moves first came to my understanding from the NGSX training that I was able to attend. And it's kind of interesting to think about talk moves have been around for quite some time, but as educators, we're just now getting to them. So it's kind of interesting that it's taken so long for them to finally trickle down into the classroom. But if you look at research, typically a teacher asks a question. One student answers that question and the teacher immediately gives that one student feedback. Well, we're starting to figure out that that really is just not best practice. And that lets one student voice be heard. But when we're able to think about these talk moves and think about these four main goals of science talk specifically, it helps open up a world of voice. And so when we think more about these talk moves and where they came from, they came from the work of Michaels and O'Connor. And Michaels and O'Connor were able to really start thinking about what are those, and I almost think of talk moves as like a questioning technique of teachers to elicit student talk, elicit student ideas and feedback that then they can help other students build upon those ideas. So 
we opened with the framework. Let's take a little bit to build on what you were just saying about the field of education in general. What gives you hope for the field of education? And that gives me hope that we're not just stuck in where we're at right now, but that curiosity will continue to propel us forward. Whether it's curiosity with our current students, whether it's curiosity of former students, whether it's curiosity with future teachers, whether it's curiosity in just the world of science, those are things that I think are going to continue to give us hope for the future. The questions that students continue to ask and I love when students are asking those questions that I'm like, that's a really good question. I never thought about it that way. So at least you know that there is a turning point and that there is that point when they want to continue on and they want to continue thinking in terms of science and how that will impact the future. So in all of this work, what were the most impactful supports you saw educators using when supporting classroom discourse? What advice do you have to give them if they're looking to make this shift? When we ask educators to make the shift in their classroom, it's sometimes it can be scary to let kids talk because sometimes you can't predict what they might say. And I know as educators, we like, we want everything to be scripted. We want everything to be in this box, but sometimes it's okay. That's not always in that box. And I know some of the best educators that utilize talkers in their classroom, when you're able to peer in and hear those conversations and the richness and the deepness of their science sense making, you're like, oh my gosh, why haven't I thought about using them before? And sometimes it's just as simple as keeping one or two of these talk moves in your back pocket, in your toolkit, often is what as, as educators talk about, have your little teacher toolkit. Well, why are you saying that? Or can you tell me more about that? Like just getting them those simple little things. When you're able to see teachers utilizing the talk moves at such an amazing level, the student discourse is deep and you're able to really get a sense of what one classroom that I was really able to dig deep into is a teacher in California. And not only is she a phenomenal phenomena educator, but she also has kind of a tough crowd in her, in her classroom. And she has a large population of students that are transient and learning the English language. And when we, when she uses those talk moves, every student voice is heard. And I think that's so powerful, especially in our science classrooms, because it's not just the one student who gets everything first off. But it's giving students the opportunity of like, oh, this is one piece that I was able to figure out for my investigation that I can then add to the conversation and add to the science thinking and add to the science sense making. Because ultimately, as that class, we do want to move our science thinking forward. And it's not just one person moving their science thinking forward, but it's the opportunity that all students are able to move their science thinking forward. And these talk moves are just a huge asset to our classrooms to make them just strong science sense-making classrooms. You're so right. So any specific advice for someone looking to get started? Just try it. Like, I know sometimes as middle school science teachers or even science teachers in general, you get nervous about the conversations that might happen, but as middle schoolers, especially they love to talk. So just try it. Like they might just surprise you. I know as teachers, we are worried about if they're going to stay on topic or if they're going to say some random thing that then someone else might continue 
to harness on, but they really do stay on topic. They really do want to figure out science together. And when you're able to just have these talk moves at your fingertips, and even if it's so simple as copying them so that you can look at and maybe make tally marks, if you've been able to use some of those talk moves, it gets them to continue to want to stay on topic. So it also helps students just have a an ownership of their science thinking and gives them that ownership of it's not the teacher that is the gatekeeper of all knowledge. It's us as a class trying to put piece all these things together to make sense of it. Middle schoolers do just love to talk. I mean, don't we all just love to talk sometimes? Middle schoolers especially love to talk. And when we give them that avenue, they're going to talk science and they're going to do it pretty amazing. I love to talk science. So I'm really, really glad we're having this conversation. You have attended so many outstanding professional developments around the state, around the nation. Um, rumor has it you even went to Germany for one and you've served in leadership positions at all of those levels. So we may have hit on this slightly before, but I want to dig a little deeper. What keeps you motivated? It sounds like we can hear and feel the enthusiasm walking in and out of your door, but even on the hard days, what keeps you motivated to do this work and so much more than is ever required? First and foremost, it comes back to our students, like the excitement that they have, those light bulb movements. And I know as educators are like, oh, that sometimes sounds a little too corny, but it truly, it does come back to those students. I mean, I I love when students do want to come back and they want to knock on your door and they want to share all of the exciting things that they are doing at high school and beyond. Those are huge moments that continue my motivation to, to teach science. I also, um, when my students are able to use their science knowledge in competitive natures, I know the last two years I've been able to have some students that accomplishment and that science accomplishment, because I was able to help them see their science potential and be able to mold and motivate them to want to dig deeper in their science knowledge. I know, um, hearing from other teachers and when we, like, when we have conversations like this, when we're able to to, to talk science education and feel like we're changing the world because of the techniques and the inspirations from each other and continuing the science knowledge, continuing to think about how amazing next gen is that just continues to motivate me and continues to help me want to become a better educator for my students and for our future. Cause I want to continue learning with them and harnessing their excitement, learning from other teachers, learning from even new to the profession teachers. I love being able to talk with some of our future teachers in my classroom. I currently have a practicum student right now, and it's awesome to see their excitement and their desire to inspire our future students. So that those are, those are the moments that make it bearable to continue through those hard moments and know that you are making a difference. I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that you make a difference every day.
One of the big things I heard you describe was this transition and journey that you went through really to help kids figuring. And I know that you have done a lot of work around incorporating student voice and specifically talk in your classrooms. For those of you who don't know, Dr. Lawrence's research dealt with specifically talk moves. So what did you learn in your research and what did you learn by listening and then coding the talk in the different spaces that you've had the opportunity to be a part of? It's just crazy how impactful and how much you can truly gain from listening to student talk. But it's also interesting to think about that talk itself is not natural. It's not easy for me to talk about science. And if it's not easy for me to talk about science, it often is more challenging for our students to talk about science. So as teachers, when we're able to use talk moves in our classroom, we're able to help our students go beyond just the yes and no. And in my research specifically, I wanted to see how talk moves, teacher talk moves specifically, impacted girls because often it's shown with research that girls don't talk as much in sense-making science class discussions. Often they let males dominate conversations. Girls are able to talk at a deeper level in science when teachers are able to use those talk moves. And when we're talking about talk moves, they are often seen in four different goals. So one goal one is getting students to help, um, getting them to to share, expand, and clarify their own thinking. We want, these talk moves are a way to get students to go again beyond yes and no, getting them to like, hmm, this is what I mean. And being able to more explicitly share what their thoughts are and making making their thinking more visible. The second goal is getting students to listen more carefully to one another. In a classroom, not only that a teacher is using talk moves, but is also set those class agreements and those class expectations where it's a safe place for them to share, they then have to listen to each other because they can learn so much from each other. They can learn that at a deeper level. I always often tell my students that you all learn science at a deeper level from each other than you ever would from me. The third goal is just deepening their reasoning. So I was even just talking with my a coworker that students still are struggling with stating evidence to support their claims. And so when they're able to talk through those things and able to see how what they figured out from a lab or from a an investigation, how that can apply to their natural phenomena, that it's getting them again to talk at a deeper level, to talk about the evidence, to connect it to what they're trying to figure out. And then the fourth goal is helping students think with each other. I mean, ultimately, if I each other and think about what are the pieces that we do agree upon in what we're trying to investigate or what we're trying to figure out. Or what are the things that we don't quite agree on? And so with that, the continuation with my research, it was, again, more pinpointed toward girls. But in reality, using these teacher talk moves helped all students talk more and helped them be able to show their thinking at a more visible level. And when we think back to the research about visible learning, when kids can talk about it, their thinking is more visible. We're able to see pinpointed as educators, what are their conceptions? What are those science thinking pieces that they truly do have a good grasp? Or what are those misconceptions or things that, hmm, that's kind of an interesting thought. And how can we reframe and regroup that with that? Lastly, we have talked a lot about talk. What would be the one thing you would like our listeners to hear? Really hear 
about this potentially big shift in their classroom and their practice. Let students talk to each other, like let them make sense together. It's just, I know as a teacher, it really can be frightening. It can be scary to want to give up the reins. Next gen asks us to give up those reins and next gen asks us to allow our students the freedom to be curious about their world. And they can't do that when they're placed in a box of being told this is how it is. But when we allow students to be heard, when we allow them the space to make those connections with each other, that's, that's what our world's all about. And that's the world of our future is letting them make those connections and doing that with talking to each other. Betsy, you are an extremely dear friend and an outstanding educator. I'm so extremely thankful for everything you're doing for your students and for Kansas Science Education. Thank you for spending this time to talk with us today and for inspiring us to lean in, learn deeply, and listen, maybe just a little more. Friends, we will talk to you next month. And until then, stay curious, whether about the fields or the framework. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.